Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Happy first night of Hanukkah to all! Hope that you had a good celebration last night. Looking forward to getting into the holiday season with our first December episode. If you skip some of these pre-show announcements, I totally get it, but hear me out. Listen to the ones for this week. We have some quick announcements pertaining to a quick SMC request for the holidays. Some shout-outs, what's happening in December, and what's going on with today's episode. If you were thinking, man, I would love to give SMC a holiday gift, it's super simple. You can do a couple things, and it'll take you a total of two minutes max. Go to the Apple Podcast app, give us a rating. Super simple. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you already know that we've been downloaded 125,000 times. You guys really seem to like this show. Share a favorite episode on social media. Really appreciate it. Tag us in it. We'd love you for it. Maybe you've already done that, and you want to be a super fan of ours, and you want to recommend a cartoon. You can do that by calling us at 202-681-4406, and we will 100% review that cartoon in an upcoming episode in February. It's that simple. Two minutes max. If you're familiar with the show The League, use this as a part of your Tinker Stinker time. Thank you guys so much. Very quick shout-outs. From our Twitter, Aureus Centaur enjoyed our cat-dog episode. Thank you so much. Centaur was able to find some great Simpsons references to the half-Simpsons character and then an animal from the Treehouse of Horror episode, specifically on the Dr. Hippert's Island episode, plus Hex in the City. Thank you so much for your message. From Facebook, Tim messaged us and said that he has come across the Bill and Ted animated series, which has a very weird history with their voice cast when they switched from CBS to Fox Kids. It's really bizarre because they removed the titular characters who were the voice actors from the actual movie. That's right, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters were removed when it moved from CBS to Fox. It doesn't make any sense. I'm pretty sure that this is probably the plot for an upcoming Keanu Reeves movie like John Wick. This is probably John Wick 3. This is what this is all about. We need to watch this. 100%. Thank you so much, Tim. In December, we've got the following. Today, we're talking about Gundam. This is 0080. Yep, Charlie Visconage managed to talk me into watching another Gundam show, and I watched a ton of it. There are six episodes, and there's a Christmas theme to it. So that is today. December 10th, we have an interview with Joe Gardner and Michael Ashley, who wrote a book that's called It's Saturday Morning, which means we talk about another book, we're going to be giving them away another book as well. So we are going to have a raffle that is going to be coming up on December 10th for that week to give away a couple of these books. So keep an ear out. We will have that up shortly. And December 17th, we're going to be doing Rankin Bass, Pinocchio Christmas, uh, as a final way of getting into the holiday. These Rankin Bass shows have become a staple of the SMC programming. We can't wait to dig into some of these lesser known ones that we have that are out there. Then in January, we are going to be taking a very quick break just at the beginning of the month, but we're going to be back on January 14th and then on January 21st for back-to-back -back weeks of our New Year's Nicktoons that we have. And then February, guys, it's all you. If you want to call in, we will review that show. So what's actually happening on today? Well, if you go back two years ago to our March Mecha Madness, you would know that I'm not a super fan of Gundam. I'm really not a fan at all. I've said it before. I've said it again. I just don't really like the Gundam cartoons. 
I love anime, just not Gundam. It's just not for me. Charlie Visconage knows this, and he torments me about it. He was actually able to find Gundam 0080, and the fact that it has this Christmas theme, we watched all six episodes for this entire series. Watched the entire thing. We're also joined by our friend Jeff Ray, who has a lot of questions about Gundams as well, which is great because I had those same questions, and we were able to get answers thanks to Charlie. So, will this change my opinion on Gundam? All of that and more on today's episode. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you all the way from a secret lunar base, I'll be your host, Sean Paul Ellis. Returning to the show and piloting an Alex-type Gundam, we have artist Charlie Visconage. What up, what up, what up? How's it going, Charlie? Pretty great. I'm so hey. excited. All right. <laughs> I love how excited you are for all this Gundam stuff. This I'm is very excited. I want to share in that excitement tonight. Well, you know, I want to invite all of your listeners to come over to my childhood home and you can see just how much uh, summer job money I spent on Gundam models. <laughs> oh, really? They, they take up a whole bookcase in my parents' basement. Oh, not, wow. Not kidding. Wow. That's very cool. I love it. You know what also I love? Being able to introduce a new host that we have that's coming to the show he is a newcomer who is living in a neutral colony and wants nothing to do with war. We have filmmaker and mostly retired rapper, Jeff Ray. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. This is a very interesting moment because we are talking about a cartoon tonight that I did not think would have any ties to the holidays. We This is now currently December 3rd, and... I really did not think that somebody would be able to pitch to me and find a way to integrate Gundam into the mix to say that this would be a holiday Christmas special that we should air at some point, especially given the fact that I've had problems watching Gundams in the past for multiple episodes, <laughs> and Charlie has been on those episodes and has given me a lot of shit about it. <laughs> So here we are. We I snuck are. my way in like a Xeon strike team, baby. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, if anything, it's it's a joy that you're so excited oh about this. God, yeah. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeding off of that. If you are unfamiliar, tonight we are talking about Gundam zero zero eight zero colon War in the Pocket, and so this is. This is interesting. This is a very interesting series to to have, and I, I'm excited to kind of do the discussion tonight because I think that there are a lot of very interesting themes, ideas, and thoughts that really come out of this very humanized Gundam series that does not really focus a ton on Gundams, except for one kind of pivotal battle that they, they really have. Yeah, I think it's got some good action sequences, certainly, but you know, sometimes you revisit these as an adult, and I watched this when it was first airing on Cartoon Network when it was maybe like 13. And I thought it was cool, but I, it really resonated for me even more now as an adult man and doing anime. <laughs> um, 
But I always want you from now on to refer to yourself as an adult man in giant anime. <laughs> in case you guys thought I was just a highly intelligent 15-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. I was a stupid as shit teenager. <laughs> not sure that I'm any smarter now, but I just have done more things in my time. But, but no, I really found myself enjoying this a lot. I think it's a very mature story, even though kind of the focus is a child. Um, and, you know, well before your Avengers Age of Ultron tried to sort of pay lip service to the sort of carnage that our heroes and antagonists inflict on one another. You know, Jeff and I were just talking earlier today, like there's a lot of scenes of all the people caught in the crossfire just trying to live their lives. Right. Uh, which is pretty fascinating because the original Gundam series does not really pay attention to that in any way. It really does not. And I, I it's very interesting for me to see the distinction between these two series. And I, I love the fact that this is also written as really just that six episode mini series to kind of focus on one very small story for a handful of characters where I feel that sometimes the waters get muddied for me in Gundamville because they'll throw in a bunch of spiky haired, sassy 15 year olds piloting murder robots and I, I kind of lose, I lose a little bit of focus trying to figure out who's who. But then the counterpoint that I always get is, oh, but you got to wait until he, until he does his like special power. Like when he does his thing, <laughs> like when he does his Kamehameha, you're just like, I don't think that's another anime, but fair, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, we're talking Dragon Balls <laughs> even. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, that's definitely more like a Gundam wing. Is right. That is like the total opposite of this where it's just like uh, kind of androgynous teens murdering relentlessly <laughs> fair enough i jeff i wanted to ask we've kind of got a great idea and perspective in terms of uh, charlie's understanding and, and his familiarity with gundam and especially uh, war in the pocket tonight what was your impression or what was your kind of experience exposure to just maybe gundam in general um i didn't really have much exposure to it leading up to watching this series. Um, I remember, you know, I watched a bunch of animes in high school with my friends, but I don't remember what we watched. I do know that we didn't watch Gundam. Um, so I was mainly familiar with it through the toys. Like, I think my yeah. brother might have had some Gundam toys. Um, but other than that, uh, I was not familiar at all. So when I did watch this one, uh, I thought it was cool, but I was very... Uh, I guess intrigued at, I guess, the maturity level of the story, which is what you guys were talking about, compared to the other ones, where, as Charlie said, it was the androgynous, murderous 15-year-olds you know, in robot suits. Um, this one was definitely not like that. So, you know, I am intrigued, and now I feel like maybe I should watch a few more of these Gundams and see what's going on. So this might be the thing that gets you into Gundam. Begrudgingly so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I, it. Yeah, like, I definitely... Um, well, and we'll talk about it later, but I came into this as I started watching it, um, judging some of the characters very, very harshly. And I think it was based on uh, a conversation I had with you, Sean, when I was telling you about uh, the man in the high castle. And how right. I kind of just came to the conclusion that the third season is whack. And I was kind of watching this in that mindset. Um, so I feel like maybe I bought a little bit of that energy to it. But by the end... uh. I think it had been mostly washed away. So. Okay. 
I, I definitely know that my experience with Gundam is from two marches ago. We did our, our mobile uh, Mecha March Madness. And during this time, we had watched Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam as well as uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. Oh boy. And <laughs> quite an entry point. <laughs> oh man. I, I just, I, without getting too much into it and being too critical, I just felt like there were a lot of things that were going on. And then I, that I felt like there were moments where they tried to shoehorn sort of the high school aspect or the, the are you talking more about site. wing there? Yeah. Correct. Oh yeah. <laughs> where wing, wing has this moment where, you know, you've got these like five pilots and they all come down to earth and they're all hiding their Gundams. But then suddenly they're also going to high school and trying to navigate the world of high school. And there, I distinctly remember the moment where a girl comes to him at the very end of episode one of Wing and, and asks him to come to a party. And whoever the, the, the young kid is that's the, the Gundam pilot makes some comment that was, to me, ludicrous. Where he posits, I don't want to talk to you because you're basically as good as dead to me. And, I, and I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing and I'm not accurate. So if you're a Gundam fan and you know exactly what it is, don't at me. I don't care. Hey, great use of my catchphrase. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Because I'm in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, for that reason alone, I just thought that I needed a little bit more of a grounded story, and so tonight I think that we, I think that we got that. I think that we were able to to gain a little bit more insight into what a an interesting composition would be for a very grounded, realistic idea that doesn't just focus on five androgynous teen boys trying to navigate the worlds of piloting a, a giant murder robot, as well as also the the. The halls of high school. <laughs> Just being like weird, condescending dicks. No, but I, I, I feel like so much of it is like Boy Meets World plus Murder Robot. Yeah, I think for, that's for accurate. Wing. Now, for Gundam Wing, you, I mean, Sean, you probably know this, but just to clarify for the listeners out there, that is a, that's a complete spinoff that takes place in a different universe. So right. the, the Universal Century encompasses the original 1979 Gundam, this one, series like the 8th MS team or 0083 and then Zeta. So I feel like Zeta is also a tough entry point because it picks up right after the original 1979 Gundam. That's okay. meant to be like the Federation has turned corrupt. Mm. The Zeon is no more, but this other anti-Earth group kind of comes together and former adversaries Shar and Amuro are forced to work together. And I think without the context of original Gundam, which is a lot to get through, don't get me wrong, yeah. it's probably not so enjoyable. I love, too, that you played it in a way where you threw that out that I knew what some of those things were that you talked yeah. about, <laughs> and I did not. <laughs> I wholeheartedly had watched a bunch of episodes of Gundam and then thought to myself, how do I not this watch sucks. these again? <laughs> Fair. How do I not get into this? But I love the fact that Charlie has been on my case about it. With uh, 0080, really wanted me to kind of get into this a little bit more. So let's let's dig into a little bit of the history of Mobile Suit Gundam 0080. Am I saying that right? Is it 0080? Yeah, that's usually what they said. At least in the in the tsunami promos, that is how it was said <laughs> on the voiceover. Uh, also called War in the Pocket, and uh, Kiru Senshi 
Gatamawu 0080 Paketo no Naki no Senso is the Japanese version that I have just butchered. <laughs> is a six-episode 1989 Japanese science fiction original video animation series. It is the first OVA series in the Gundam franchise. It was directed by Fumihiko Takayama, written by Hiroyuki Yamaga, with character design by Haruhiko Mikimoto. Uh, the original airing was between March 25th of 1989 and August 25th of 1989. So six episodes kind of spanned out over the course of that, that center portion of the year. And so as suggested by its subtitle, War in the Pocket, it is a small personal story, a side story focusing on the experiences of an 11-year-old boy during one-year war and his learning of the real meaning of war. And so to give us a little bit more, because this is sort of a complicated plot and story, Charlie's going to kind of fill us in with a little bit of a synopsis. Yeah. So kind of like I was saying previously, so we're talking about the fictional calendar called the Universal Century. So that's your original Gundam. That's this one, which the conflict is the one-year war between the Earth Federation and the Principality of Xeon. So I do want to kind of put out there, in the original Gundam, there's some quasi-fascist imagery for the Duchy of Xeon that I don't think ages so well. Something that I like that this series does is just kind of focuses on the grunts. And they've, they've got their commander guy who's much more like kill them all or whatever. But I do think that the special forces guys are very humanized and are not, they're not like bloodthirsty killers or whatever. Right. Um, but, it, and it, you know, as we learned later on in Universal, in the original Gundam, it's really the Zabi family who are sort of the main evil bad guys. And the antagonist, Char, had kind of embedded with them to take them out, um, which is perhaps a little bit more set up than this requires, but <laughs> I'm just trying to give, give a little bit more background here. So in the series itself, in the year 0079, the Xeon Intelligence has figured out that the Federation is developing a Gundam in this colony uh, where supposedly there's no Federation presence. Right. Um, so this Xeon commandos are dispatched to destroy the prototype, but things don't really go according to plan. Um, the Gundam is launched into space, and then it turns up at this R&D base on Side 6, which is a colony. So then they launch an additional covert operation to destroy the Gundam. Uh, and then they include a rookie, since somebody got killed on their first operation, Bernie Wiseman. Um, and then in a, in a later episode, they try to mount another operation and everybody but Bernie gets killed. And so he's left with the choice of either fleeing or uh, trying to destroy the Gundam because <laughs> he learns from their mole on the inside, uh, the best character, Charlie, the bartender, the bartender, that if they don't destroy the Gundam by Christmas Day, then the Principality of Xeon is going to nuke the colony. <laughs> Which is pretty dark. But the other main character here is Al, is a Ruha, who's an elementary school boy. So he and his friends kind of have this romantic or sort of childish notion of warfare. And they're all swapping pilot insignias that they supposedly got from their like big brothers or whatever. But you know, they're just little kids telling lies. And then when there's a <laughs> when there's a battle near their school, um, Al kind of runs out of school and follows this Zaku that crashes in the woods. And that's where he meets Bernie and eventually helps him uh, kind of mount a resistance against this Gundam. 
He also has a foxy next door neighbor who's like 20 something. This woman, Chris McKenzie, who it turns out is the pilot of the Gundam, but they're all kind of keeping secrets from one another. And that is sort of the main dramatic thrust and tension of this whole story. Jeff, I, I don't know about you. That was a lot to take in. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you did that, especially the first half of it, because you actually explained. Like, I I didn't pick up on the, like, the first episode where they were shooting that Gundam into space, and then they just went into, like, the shit with the little kid. Like It's a pretty I, hard cut. Yeah, it was a hard cut, and I never came back to it. I was like, I don't know what that is. It was, at first, I was like, oh, are we going back to, like, this little kid is the dude that got killed in the first scene and we're replaying. So like you explained like half the series to me just now. So I very much appreciate that for sure. Yeah. If Charlie hasn't been jockeying for the position of Gundam translator for (laughs) the universe, just in general, he is right now. Yeah. (laughs) This is really, this is really what I I feel your calling might be. You know, I'm in the pilot seat. I've got that full 360 degree view. Oh my God. I'm using this very, so I was just in Japan for our listeners. So for any (laughs) listeners who are going, there is an arcade game called Gundam Battle Pod. So if anybody's played the Star Wars (laughs) Battle Pod, um, it's the same setup, but you basically have two throttles. So you, if you've ever played virtual on, yeah. you know, you've got two sticks, you push them forward to go forward, back to go back. And then you can do like left, right to turn it around. And then you have two foot pedals, just like the pilots on television, one oh, that boosts man. you forward and one that makes you jump up. Um, so the question that we're not asking is how much money and how much time did you sink into this arcade game? I think probably about $15 US, which is a lot yeah. for this game. Not bad. Did Clementine play with you? Uh, no. In fact, she she nicely came to the, this is my wife, nicely came to the <laughs> arcade with me. And she was like, I'll just stand outside while you play. And I was like, it kind of takes a little bit because there's a lot of setup. You know, you got to pick your side, Earth, Earth Federation or Xeon. And then you get to fly at least two missions, if not more, if you're good. And by the time I came out, I was like really sweaty and... You know, you're, you're in the battle pod, and you hadn't even played the game yet. But you're like, <laughs> yeah. I did that. I did the. I did the intro, and I'm ready to go now for the main game, yeah. Clem. So, she was just like, "That took a long time." <laughs> Sorry, baby. I mean, you're a master Gundam pilot. Yeah, I was man. out there ripping it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you get a badge that you could put on your shirt then at the end of the game? No, I was pretty disappointed that I did not get a badge. Uh, Either one that was listening in on me or uh, regular Japan. If you're downloading this episode at all, come on. <laughs> Step up that badge game for that Gundam pod. I did see somebody in the airport who was uh, rocking a Xeon shirt when we left on Thursday. And I was like, ah, shit, I should have bought one. That would have been tight. Yeah, that would have been cool. It probably wouldn't have been, but you guys are sweet to say. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that are sweet to say, we're about to get into our discussion points for Gundam 0080. Obviously, we have to talk about the theme song. I think the theme song is something that we really need to to dig into here. Uh, I'd love to get your impressions, Charlie. Starting with you, it's pretty silly. I mean, so it's like it's like a sung poem, right? It, so you know, we don't, unlike many cartoons in general, this is not showing. This is not showing a montage of scenes we're going to see. This is not showing scenes that are just shot for this intro. We see sort of bad C- bad early CGI of the colony. I thought it was um, hieroglyphics or some shit. Yeah, or I I took it to be like kids chalk drawings. Mm. Right. So you can notice that like there's some drawings of like a Zaku or a you know Federation mobile suit or whatever. So I think that that's kind of 
it's further telling us about the we're seeing this through the kid's eyes. We're seeing it through Al's eyes. Right. Um, I don't really know like how they must have come up with this because it's so like happy and bouncy compared to the overall content within, which I think is pretty mature or even like the commercial bumpers are pretty dark in my opinion (laughs) that where it has Al in the like helmet and then with him with like a loaded gun clip in his back pocket. Well, he's got like a loaded gun clip, but like also a toy rocket. A toy rocket oh, and a Swiss Army knife. through, yeah. I never saw the gun clip. I just saw the toy rocket. And oh. that only made me think of uh, that Bruce Springsteen album. <laughs> oh, it does kind of look like that. <laughs> Al just biting off Bruce Springsteen style on this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, if, if only the boss could cover the, I'm gonna love you forever. You know what? With what we just heard from you, that's the only cover I want. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. It's something very nasally. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to do it. Um, it, it does have some sweet synths, but yeah. I will say, other than like one rewatch of the whole theme song on the first episode, I skipped it on all the others because it's long. It's, it's like a minute and a half. It's a minute and a half. Yeah. yeah. Was, I think the first time I watched it, about a minute in, it was one of those things where I was like, what what's happening? Why is this still going on? <laughs> like I kind of zoned out and then came back and it was still going. So after that, I just would skip all the way in every time. Yeah, on YouTube, there's no skip recap yeah. or uh, skip intro. Yeah, you got to scrub with your finger, but yeah, I got that- good at it though. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, any additional thoughts, Jeff, about the about the theme song about this intro? Um, I it it kind of just hit me and passed me by just because I felt like for uh, animes and just kind of like those kind of cartoons the music is always kind of like that it's always some weird like melancholy deep uh, foolishness so it kind of just you know it kind of went in one ear and out the other I have to say I was walking my dog tonight and I definitely uh, was singing along a little bit so might be a little bit catchy. A little bit of a earworm. Yep. Yes. Okay. Like uh, the last line is what gets you because you can sing that after you watch it once or twice, you remember it. Can you hit us with it? I've already forgotten it. So I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm lying to the people right now. <laughs> earlier today, I was singing that with my dog. So Fair enough. I, I think it's very interesting because I agree with both of you. The melancholy aspect and the, the sung poetry it's very challenging for something that is going to be Gundam related because you have that expectation going in of giant fighting robots and to have this listless sort of just spoken word sung poem that is, is talking about love and longing and and it feels very unrequited at at these certain moments. And, and, and that's just the music, the imagery that you're, you're seeing is, it looks like old photographs at certain points and, and you're, you're seeing a lot of uh, things that kind of look like, again, chalk outlines or drawings or almost like a lithograph. And you keep seeing them over and over again. And you, you keep, my constant thought was, are these war memorabilia or artifacts or are these things that weren't salvageable from somebody's house? And that was, that was beginning in the second, episode kind of after setting the tone but it's it's very interesting to have that dynamic of of something that's very slow and 90 seconds long 
and then to kind of jump immediately, especially in that first episode, was sort of this assault on a base with a bunch of these these Xeon, uh, these like Zaku that they had. Well, it's technically uh, a Galgook, but you know. a Galgook. I apologize. <laughs> with uh, these Galgook mobile suits, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, really kind of cutting up this place. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a very interesting dichotomy in terms of the the tone that it really sets. I'd say it lost points for me because there's really very little intro to some of these main characters. Uh, there's there's very little in terms of a, a visual roll call. There's no actual title card roll call to kind of bring you into some of these characters. But I really did like the aspect of seeing this neutral colony and sort of that weird kind of Americana slice of life where it's it's kids kind of running back and forth in the street, kind of playing along. I almost actually felt like we saw some of that again in episode six when they broke that song out. Yeah, that's true. When they were doing the montage, I felt like there were moments and aspects from that. And I, I, the song was fine, but I didn't care enough to go back and be like, I got to do a side by side comparison of this gang. Like (laughs) I got to figure, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to Sherlock the shit out of it. (laughs) Did not care. (laughs) It it was enjoyable. I, 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 but I, I think the consensus is that it, from what I'm feeling for both of you, way too long. Yeah, I would skip it, and I'm yeah. a huge fan. <laughs> it also just doesn't like it doesn't get you hype. Like no. you said, yeah, you it's definitely very awesome underwhelming. Song. Yeah, and then you get just like some bootleg karaoke singer singing about whatever, and didn't even sound like she's into it herself. So it's definitely a skip, a minus sign for the show. Yeah, it's tough. Charlie, we're all giving this minuses in yeah. the first discussion point, buddy. You know, I think we're going to pull up here. Um, <laughs> much like, you know, that Zaku making its assault on the secret R&D lab. Well, technically, know. it wasn't a Zaku. It was, no. <laughs> I thought Probably. they were all Gundam, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, boy, Jeff. We got to go into re-education here. <laughs> Is every robot been Gundam? <laughs> Don't feel bad. There are moments where I thought the same fucking thing. Well, I didn't realize that they weren't until literally, like, the last episode when... Spoiler alert. Well, I think it's all Burning it's it. all open. You know, it came yeah. out in nineteen eighty nine. <laughs> Burning gets killed. I'm like, oh, he's not in a Gundam. She's in the Gundam. So up until then I thought they were all Gundam. To your point, Jeff, I think the the challenging thing is is that because there are so many different factions within this world and each faction has their own types and series of mobile suits, I I almost need a visual compendium. To sit down and say, okay, these are the things. Because the the Gaku, the ones that you had mentioned in the beginning, I loved the look and the feel of those oh, guys. Oh, those are super cool with the claws and yeah, the torpedo. And the, the weird kind of like Google noodle arms that it has that <laughs> yeah. it's running around with. I thought that was going to be what we saw. But the I guess the Zaku is the one that I'm the most used yeah, to, which Zaku is sort of the, sort the of boxy. The, yeah. It has the little shield thing. little shield over the the shoulder. It's got the, the, the one yeah, eye. eye. Uh, and so... That that kind of is what I had always kind of envisioned for the Xeon. And to see this other one, I was like, okay, yeah, I can get behind this. Why can't we get more of these noodle arm fighting yeah. robot guys? Bring those back. Yeah, bring them back. Where'd they go? Oh, they, oh I, I mean, you know, they, they seem to finish their mission and get home safe, <laughs> you know, for this like hit squad that's out there minus one. Yeah, that's uh, true. But, you know, where they put those? <laughs> Can't they smuggle that on Earth? Well, it What's seems the like they can be pressurized in water, but maybe not in space. Okay. Well. <laughs> All right. Wait, what? <laughs> well, because listen, so I take it, 
they're on Earth in the first in that first sequence. Yeah, when they're under, they're like in a sub and they're being they're, shot yeah, out of shot the out sub. Shot out of the sub. So they may just be water type, but not like atmosphere type. Oh, uh, okay. okay. All right. So, and the only reason that I say that is it does come up in some of the shows where, like in Z Gundam, which you would not have gotten this far, and I wouldn't have blamed you. But there's an episode where they are in space and they're flying back down to Earth. And so some of the mobile suits have heat shielding, but those that don't just like blow up immediately. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the other thing that's confusing is, so the, another thing that comes up in the in 0080 politically, so, you know, they talk about like the Riyadh government. So like the local colony government has mobile suits referred to as GMs, which sort of right. look like a Gundam, but are seem to be made of like tissue paper for all that we can tell. That, that, was, that was definitely a question. Thank you for kind of answering that because there were moments where... I thought, what are they doing with this dollar store Gundam? What's up with this five and below Gundam? <laughs> this like off brand. It's just made out of Amazon balsa wood and paper mache. <laughs> um, yeah, so the GMs are like sort of the main fighting forces of the Earth Federation. So like, and then in okay. that part where they launch some from a a ship that sort of looked like white base from the original, like the gun tank or the gun cannon. Yeah, those are similarly like weak as shit. Okay. So the 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 deal with the Gundam is that it has it's made with some sort of alloy that's like super strong. Yeah, whatever. what's the name of the metal or the uh, Gundanium? God damn it! Really? Yeah, <laughs> man. All right. This this is. I'm slowly turning you you both <laughs> on this show. I'm gonna be honest, Jeff. When I heard that, it was the unobtainium of oh, like the, uh, the Gundam War. Yeah, the it was the the Avatar unobtainium of the Gundam War. And I I checked out so hard. <laughs> well, I feel like uh, they put as much effort into that name as they did into that theme song. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> hey, how do you guys feel if I just kind of flail around and I talk about like love and longing and stuff? Also, Gundanium. What if we just went with that as a thing? As the yeah. owl. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, Sean. You just got promoted because we're going to check two, two. We're going to kill two birds with one stone on this one. <laughs> Yikes. Let's talk a little bit about some of these character designs. I know that we've we've mentioned and we've talked about that this cartoon came out in 1989. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of an older series, but Gundam obviously, Gundam and its series obviously has a, a pretty storied uh, historical significance, not just in terms of of uh, Japanese uh, culture and and just sort of the the series itself. But I mean, this is something that has has longevity and so I, i'm kind of curious to understand was this something that in terms of the gundam universe charlie that checked out for you that you you were satisfied with or for i guess maybe for for jeff and i were there other contemporary cartoons that came out around that time that kind of made us think uh or or, or draw a similar comparison that's a great question so i mean i don't i don't have a ton of like you know, that same year anime knowledge, but I was seeing, especially in some of the like pretty violent gun battles in episode four, when some of the team members are infiltrating the earth Federation area and they're just like fucking blowing people away. Like it kind of reminded me of the more violent, like more hyper violence of like Akira, which was eighties. Yeah. I mean, opposite side of that decade certainly no it's not oh no akira it came out in 88 oh okay yeah so this is only because it made me think of a lot of akira uh, as well and there's okay. only a year difference gotcha i thought it was earlier for some reason so that would make a lot of sense then you know it just struck me as very similar kind of like 
that hyper violence, like very quick moving, but I thought well animated. I mean, the original, again, the, the very original 1979 Gundam, I mean, the animation quality is garbage <laughs> compared to this. Like, I thought this was super high quality. It didn't seem dated to me. Um, you know, I love the character designs. It doesn't, you know, unlike, like, I love, I was on the Outlaw Star episode, guys. Go back and listen to it. But the, the animation quality noticeably dips episode to episode. It's super inconsistent. Yeah. Whereas I feel like this being only six episodes, I'm no animation expert, but it seemed to me that the quality of the drawing and everything was pretty consistent episode to episode. Okay. No. Oh. Understood. Jeff, thoughts about design and animation in this? Uh, I mostly agree with Charlie. I thought it was very good. When I was watching it, I was trying to think about like when it was made. I did not bother to Google that, so I learned that tonight. And I was impressed that it was made in 1989. Um, but, I mean, it's still, you know, it's whatever year it is now, and it still holds up in terms of it looks great. Um, I'm going to so, pause for one second. Jeff, yeah. you do know what year this is, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 1990, right? I did forget I how old I was to... for a whole year recently. Really? Yeah, so I thought I was turning. Was I thought I was turning turning... 31 yeah and you were and really my girlfriend's 32. like dog you're 32 and i was like oh jeff and i also have the same <laughs> birthday so i learned that <laughs> but yeah so i thought the the animation on this so the design was really good i liked how it looked plus it's a plus for me i i agree with charlie on the idea that i i got a little bit of the akira kind of hyper violence from this as well there was also a an older anime that came out in 1989 called Riding Bean that this made me think of. So any Riding Bean fans out there, please let me know. Holla at me. But they they definitely and I I'm I'm obviously I will post this as a part of the the show as well. But there was even the character design from Riding Bean. You can kind of see he looks like one of the characters. Yeah, he looks like Garcia. Yeah. yeah, he looks like the Garcia character that we have that's within the show. So the main titular character that we had being Bean Bandit sort of looked like Garcia uh, from this sort of Xeon hit squad that we had that's the colony. So it was, uh, it was very interesting. And just sort of those very kind of like jagged lines uh, for the characters. Uh, if, they, if they were more masculine, very square chins. If they were a little bit more androgynous and could be potentially feminine, very rounded faces. And also very like V-shape skinny waist like the the commander on the moon base of the Xeon special forces unit is very like trim but then has yeah. giant sunglasses i think what they're meant to be uh, and he just wears indoors at all times no I, I i i enjoyed the animation i did not think it was bad there were only maybe a couple janky moments that i saw when people were running uh yeah. sometimes and and I think that that's just hard. Some of the key framing just didn't look like it really lined up. Plus, uh, Charlie does have the DVDs, but because there's three of us and we're watching them, we're, we're checking them out on YouTube. They're all available on YouTube for people to go and watch. That's true. Uh, so it's it's very readily available. So I could blame YouTube for some of this as well. I did notice one choice that they made that kind of was fun for me. Uh, I'll preface it with this. It was very fun for me to see sort of how sometimes they would be driving vehicles or cars and somebody would say, hey, we have to turn to the right. 
and it was almost a, a Looney Tunes style uh, turn to the left and then an abrupt turn to the right in a car as well. And, and there are a bunch of car scenes that are in this show where we have certain characters, where we have Al and we have Bernie that are kind of road tripping uh, like throughout the colony, picking up, going on heists, <laughs> committing <laughs> crimes, <laughs> uh, essentially becoming, you know, terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in this moment, it, it's you see some of these scenes where Al will, will say, no, it's this right-hand turn here. And so you get that very exaggerated, Skrr. like, Skrr like to the left and then like to the right immediately that stuff. I don't know why that's so fun, but there's a part of it that just screams anime driving Mm -hmm. and was also reminiscent of uh, riding bean to me too, because that is an entire anime just about a bandit in a car. And that's, that's his thing. He's driving everywhere. He's never not driving. Gas prices are low. (laughs) Yeah, back in 1989, (laughs) (laughs) when it was like 97 cents, maybe lower. I don't know. Crazy. Before Japan's economy had had some bad times. (laughs) 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 The Japanese economy was terrible in the 90s. Was it terrible? Yeah. Man. Kind of tanked. I just, I feel bad because now I feel like we drifted off from cartoons to like socioeconomic podcasts and not, <laughs> it's not in my wheelhouse, <laughs> sadly. Well, you know, that's what with the SMC audience is here for. <laughs> well, to Soci- bring up, uh, socioeconomic discussions, yeah. yeah. Uh, to bring it back just a little bit, I do, I did enjoy what you were saying with the kind of over cartoony driving. Uh, I thought it was interesting too, especially because that would kind of take me out of it a little bit, not in a bad way, but you know, they would make those kind of goofy ass turns. And then, you know, two scenes later, like some dude got shot in the face and it was like blood everywhere. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's real. But you know, you guys make it fun for the turns. Sure. So I thought that was cool. I thought, you know, I didn't have any issues with it. Even that moment where Al is hanging onto the back of the truck and it's evidently, it's maybe not driving more than 35 miles an hour or even less because the kid was able to catch up to the vehicle in order to jump on the back of it. Yeah. He's holding it and he's kind of like, he's flapping like a flag in the back. Mm-hmm. And then he does some Cirque du Soleil thing where he pulls his legs underneath and his body under to, to be able to, to nail the dismount or like nail actually like landing on the back of this truck. And, and those things were funny and goofy and kind of silly. And so there, there was some, subtle goofiness that they had that was in this series, which I think was appreciated and kind of hopefully the aim was the, a little bit of levity before, like you mentioned, somebody gets shot in the face in the next scene. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely helps break the tension in a way that's not like breaking the fourth wall or something. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's still a story about a little kid. So I feel like it's a nice mix of him enjoying like that aspect of his cartoon life. Sad stuff starts. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of a couple of these characters, we have three main characters that we've kind of talked about. We have Al being the younger kid who has this romantic notion and vision of war. We have Bernie, who is this Zeon soldier who is stranded after uh, all of his team has, has, has died, <laughs> uh, you know, carrying out this mission that they have that's on this neutral colony. And we have Chris, who uh, kind of, touts herself as being a, a data scientist and then you find out that she's the one who's actually piloting this Alex Gundam. So I wanted to get your impression 
starting with Charlie. Charlie, who who was a who was a favorite character? Who did you who did you enjoy? Who did you identify with? You know, I I think like watching it time and again, I I can definitely put myself in the Al shoes. You know, I think like being sort of a lonely kid, and I have like a lovely home, but just being like a large nerdy child does not make one the magnet of friends until later. Like in high school, there were like plenty of other people like me because my school district was sort of a feeder for a lot. But like early middle school kind of thing, you're sort of on an island, you know? Yeah. And I think just sort of like retreating into video games and things like he does in that scene where he's just like wasting the town and stuff like that and trying to take out his anger um, on that. And, you know, I can just identify with Feeling like you're, you know, you're a little kid, you kind of are getting older, but you have some notion of maybe what the world is like, but not really. Right. Um, but I feel for him, you know, I have a lot of empathy for him. Um, you know, I do find both Bernie and Chris likable in their own ways as well. You know, I think that that makes it a more complicated series, or at least on the outset, you know, Chris's public persona is like, nice like nice babysitter you know right when in reality she's you know a psych- murder babysitter yeah psychic like gundam pilot who's just ripping people to shreds yikes uh <laughs> <laughs> jeff is here for it yeah jeff who did you enjoy in these six episodes who who was potentially somebody that you identified with um to be honest i don't i don't think i really identified with anybody okay um, so yeah, I didn't really watch it from that standpoint. Um, I was definitely kind of just observing and I, I kind of wasn't putting any of myself in there except for when Christina McKenzie did show up. I was like, I'm going to finish these episodes. She was, fun, <laughs> but, uh, other than that, like, I mean, I, I, I did, like I said before, I did watch this from kind of a, a very judgy standpoint cause we had talked about a different TV show earlier and, um, I've been kind of very focused on compelling characters. Okay. And uh, at the start, um, I didn't really find Al to be compelling. Um, I think he grew into it. At the start, I was kind of just like, man, this kid is kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> like he, he just, there was, I know that, you know, he was a kid and there was a lot of natural just immaturity there. Right. But it kind of went like, over the top for me. I think it's also because I don't like kids. No disrespect to kids, but I don't like y'all. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I kind of was not really empathizing with this situation or anything like that. Right. Um, but again, as the series went on, I did, you know, I pulled back and by the end, you know, I was cool. He matured a little bit. I get it. But um, I think those two probably were the ones that I did pay the most attention to, have the most reaction to. Um, for me, Bernie was kind of just there. Uh, I don't know why, but I think that that would probably change if I give this another try. It's very interesting that you say that because I felt that Bernie's character, I felt that there was a lot of complexity in terms of, of where he was going and what he was doing. You know, he, he starts out as this, this pilot, uh, not really doing super great. He's not, he doesn't seem like he's a, he's an ace as he puts it uh, in terms of his, his skill or the, the number of kills that he's bringing home at the end of the day. He's just, he's just kind of there. He felt to me 
like maybe a C student and C still got degrees in terms of Gundam school. And so yeah. they, they threw him up, you know, into, into battle and he, he had managed to survive and, and then being kind of assigned uh, to, to go along with the special forces mission. You know, I, I felt for him because I've, I've been in those situations where people are like, we're going to, you're going to do this thing and you don't have all the context. You don't have all the information. And you're like, all right, I guess I'm, I, I'm, I'm here to do this. I'm here to support, you know, whatever you guys need, I'm, I'm here to help out. And I felt so bad for him the entire time of being really thrust into this situation where he doesn't really know their true intention. He doesn't really know the outcome. And then when he's faced with a choice of, do I, do I stay or do I go? I hate the fact that I almost referenced a clash song, <laughs> you know, it, to make this pivotal decision for me, you, you, you got a lot of progression in terms of, as you had mentioned, Jeff, like with Al's character really maturing, it was great to see that maturity. I feel like you also got a lot of that with Bernie and in many cases they sort of paralleled each other. And so there was this interesting mirror just, it was challenging because as you had said, like, yeah, I'm sticking around for Chris. Like, great character, but I feel like at the end of the day, she was just the attractive anime woman who was there. Yeah. We didn't really get to know her. I fell for it. Yeah. I fell for it. <laughs> like, well, the thing is, I don't think Chris... So I do think both Alan, Bernie... Just a sucker for redheads. <laughs> and crazy. Um, <laughs> settle down. <laughs> Alan, Bernie did have more of a journey. I feel like Chris did not really have that. It was sort of yeah. done... You know, I think it's like probably was very progressive for the time to have the Federation protagonist. I don't want to say heroine necessarily, but the Federation protagonist be a woman. But it's kind of paying lip service to that. Like a little she's, bit. She's sexually harassed by the troops. Mm -hmm. And like, I guess we're supposed to, we should feel bad about that. I don't want to absolutely dismiss that. She's um, very she's she's dismissed as being sort of little lady. Right, exactly. And at the same like, time, can you handle this? Yeah, you know. Oh, if you were to be able to handle this, you'd have to be a real psycho. Right. And, and yeah, she's she's the pilot. This is her Gundam. She's going to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, even like then she gets questioned by the police, who you think the Earth Federation would be like, "Yo, you dipshits don't have jurisdiction." But yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really weird kind of fetter to the wolves there. So I feel like the the journey for her would have been great to have some sort of like triumphant moment otherwise but it doesn't really happen for her no other than she gets to live at the end or some more progression i feel like but yeah I, I mean i i kind of attributed that to being like you know there's only six episodes they can only right, really can go only, so deep yeah 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 but um right. so i think yeah in terms of like just pure enjoyment she was my favorite but i do appreciate the point of views you guys had, especially on Bernie, because uh, that did make a lot of sense. Yeah, but it was. She, he wasn't as fly as she was. I mean, I'm going to be very clear. Bernie's character, he is committing tons of crimes. He oh. is making <laughs> a child an accomplice well, that to was one... all of these crimes. <laughs> that was a question that I had. Um, and not like, I mean, I think there's a pretty clear answer, but is it fucked up? that he's asking Al to help him with this? No, I think I think we're at the, the perfect point to get into some questions about the plot of of War in the Pocket and and, and I think it's kind of shitty of him that he includes this kid to be able to do this. And I, I also I 
I feel like there's multiple points of failure. I really do. I, if, if the parent, if Al's parent hadn't been so <laughs> just giving me the, I agree with you. If, if, if Al's parent, if his mother had been and his father had been a little bit more inserted into his life in terms of kind of helping him understand some of these things, uh, treating him maybe like an adult to, to give him that context about war and, and, what's actually going on in their colony, in their lives, as a part of, of the entire Federation. Rather than just ignore it, which it seems like yeah. was their approach. Right. Or to the point where it was just like, hey, Al, there's a 23-year-old grown man on the phone for you, and then there's no follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, who I've never met. Don't yeah. know who he is. Yeah, and then Somebody you're going to named... go out for two days? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Somebody named Bernie on the phone? <laughs> it was, it was like Japanese my 11-year-old son. <laughs> Up. I wonder if he called up and he was like, can I talk to Al? Is hey, Al- so, yo, what's up? It's Bernie. Hey, what's up, yo? Our <laughs> home, we got to go steal missiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please help me uh, put this grenade up in a tree so that I hope the Gundam yeah. trips on it. Also, we're going to try to find these trailers that got a bunch of missiles and weapons in them and a, and a heat axe at some point. But do me a favor. If we run into any cops, I need you to scream and then hit something with a yeah, pipe. Yeah, grab a tire iron and destroy their Jeep. I almost feel like the answer to this question is, yes, it is wrong. But Al seemed to be way too good at this, which makes me think that this kid's got priors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt like it was his talent. Like, he was definitely not good at school. And no. I feel like they made that clear. So I, I was... Whenever I watch shows, I try to figure out, you know, what's going to happen next. And I was like, yo, this little dude's going to try and fly the Gundam or something crazy. So it didn't get quite to that. But I didn't feel like it was out of place to see him kind of just tagging along to commit those crimes because he he desperately wants to belong with somebody, you know, and his friends are corny. So like this dude's tight. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody who's slightly older, even though Bernie is kind of down on himself. Yeah. You know, and, and also it's like Al cannot really consent to this terrorism like he was like yeah you sure you want to help me he's like of course like but i'm 11 and i have no context i had some of the ideas though like yeah he really did he was like yo i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck this car up you go steal the (laughs) truck you know (laughs) he's like wait a minute why don't you wire the bomb in between these two trees (laughs) yeah there there are so many things that i i don't want to say because i guess I, I do like kids, and I'm, but I'm not a parent. And so there are moments where if I saw a kid of mine that had disappeared for multiple days that was not doing well in school and not performing and, and, and just really kind of having that attitude of, of just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ditch and I'm going to commit truancy and I'm also going to potentially just like show up with a bunch of bruises all over my my yeah, body. I, and my my car, I mean, the yeah. school did get blown up, so <laughs> that's kind of a push. But it was at night, Charlie. No yeah. kids were yeah, there. No kids were but there. they did pull that one kid out of the wreckage, didn't they? Uh, there was like another goes. building. Yeah, another oh, okay. building. All right. Which I'll be honest with you, there was a moment where Al seeing this child get pulled out of a building after this big Gundam fight. He looks at it, has a reaction drops some food and then picks the food up and, and runs to see Bernie. 
and then just does not like has has that moment where he's thinking about it, but he seems to get over it real quick. Well, yeah. I think he must just sort of compartmentalize because then he kind of breaks at the end, you know, when they're doing the ceremony at school. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very imperfect plot, but I do think, you know, it's it's not really right for Bernie to ask him, but it's kind of taking advantage of his sort oh, of like yeah. filling in that big brother almost parent kind of role since Al's parents are, you know, quasi divorced and then kind of get back together. But, and, and it's unbelievably elaborate too, because we, we have this moment where, where, as we've said, we have this, the Zaku who crash lands in this colony. We have Al running and leaving school to go find where this thing has touched down before presumably any military or anybody else. He finds Bernie just kind of hanging out, pointing a gun at him <laughs> has this reaction of just now I want to be your friend. I, I don't know how many friendships you guys have had that start with somebody pointing a gun at your head, but zero so far. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I think it's, I think it's an interesting challenge. Then you have this moment where he finds out where their location is. He finds out where their secret base is. Bernie drives him home, bugs him, and then tries to get up into his room to presumably like chat with him in the middle of the night. Yeah, gets knocked out by Chris. I bring up all of these points to say then Al comes up with this elaborate lie saying, oh, he's my brother. Like, he's my brother. And I'm sitting there like, wait, did I miss something? Like, what the fuck? Like, this kid's just, this kid's a vicious liar. He is a liar. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not a good person. Like, <laughs> yeah. straight up, there's so many times in the first, like, three episodes where I'm like, granted, I know that you're 10 but I was 10 once and I was not this shitty of a human being. Right. So I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> he also just, I think, you know, part of that comes from you. Uh, we see how obsessed they are with talking about the war and like, you know, the, just the romanticization, if that's how you say it, of like the paraphernalia, and all that. So like Bernie to him is like a real life. Yeah. And embody yeah, the, man. The, like, man, that. fuck your pen. Like, I got this dude trying to climb up into my window and he's uh, <laughs> flies gun to my window. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, I mean, he just, he doesn't want to let that go. You know, he's yeah. chasing that dragon of, no, I think of a friendship. Yeah. 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 I, I think really the, the two of them have this friendship and, and Charlie, to your point, you know, of him just kind of letting everything out at the very end, it felt like a very tense moment where just at any point he was that kind of shaken soda and that was the moment kind of having that, that speech at school of just somebody popping the top and mm -hmm. he, he lost it. Yeah. You know, I want to get into a serious question that I had watching this and I'd like to get your inputs is, do you feel that it's acceptable to lie when you're trying to protect someone? We've obviously kind of documented a lot of the instances of, the, the lies that Al and Bernie have kind of told to, to other people, but we, we really also have this lie about Chris and sort of the double life that she's leading within the Federation as well. And so do you feel that it's acceptable to lie when you're trying to protect someone? Probably. I mean, that's probably what I would do. Let right. me put it to you that way. Yeah. I, I wouldn't might. necessarily advocate other people behave that way, but I, an understandable behavior no I, I think it's i think it's very relatable and it happened so many times in these six episodes that it, it kind of became ingrained into the dna of the show 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think it's like Chris's lie comes from, you know, many layers above her. It's like, well, you know, you can't say you're in the CIA. You work for the Department of Defense. And so she has to take it a step further. And in fact, all the people at the like research place, like the only, the only, I was saying to Jeff, the only person of color, the her crippled black guy boss. Yeah, but he's like Professor X group, but I thought you were gonna have him like <laughs> when I hadn't I hadn't actually seen that episode when you bought it. So I was like I was waiting for like cool the super like fucked up like black dude and then he flies it on the ship. I'm like, oh he's all right, man. So, I mean, he might have just been lazy. Like he was only in there for two scenes. Jeff, oh he could just like, when I'm at work, I'm I got this fly ass the chair. The only person like, of color in the show was lazy. Well, you know, my bad. I can I can say it. I'm of color and I'm lazy as shit. So uh, <laughs> He might have just been like, he's got the, you know, the, what's it, the Robert Miller Aaron chair? Like, he's got the super futuristic chair at work, and then at home, he's just, like, walking around. (laughs) Hashtag colony so white. Um, Oh, my God. But I think to get back to your serious question, you're right. I think that is a really good observation that this is the DNA of the show is everybody's lies and how they have to hold on to them in different ways. I mean, obviously, it's like the Zeon Strike team. They all have their lies, but are pretty fatalistically resigned to keeping that up. You know, all the different identities they need to take on. That's kind of like old hat to them. I think Bernie has a harder time with it since he is a rookie. Um, Right. So not having that exposure, it's very interesting to see him in that rookie position and then pick up lying so quickly because he's learning it from a kid. Yeah. I feel like their lies at least bernie and chris in a sense for me were more excusable um and i guess maybe it's because they're adults they're in the military and like i felt like chris was not telling the truth about her job not only to potentially protect al or whoever else but also for herself like she can't have that shit out just out you know yeah well especially Um, the political situation being that supposedly there was no yeah on the colony like she's not even supposed to like exist or something you know yeah um, but like one thing that I thought, and I don't know if this was one that you guys saw, but I felt like Al lied to his mom about his grades. Oh man! And like he's not, he's only protecting himself, and not even in like a way that is like helpful. Like to he's himself. gonna get found out, which yeah. he did. Like if they do a Gundam Double O ninety six, like he's gonna be a dropout, and he's gonna be working like an adult bookstore or something, like because he didn't. He lied. You don't lie, especially as a kid. I know I had trouble with grades. I didn't lie to my parents. I'm like, yo, man, I'm failing. And then they helped get me to not fail. Right. So I, I did feel like his lies were not really as productive as, as theirs were. And I saw his as more as lies, whereas theirs were more of, I guess, the technicality of, you know, skirting the truth. You know, yeah. Skirting it. Yeah. And I think that you bring up a great point that I, I didn't even really consider until now is that a majority of the lies that Al tells other people are self-serving. And yeah. these are things to, to protect himself, to, to put up a wall or a barrier between him and another person, or in some cases, pull another person in closer to him. And uh, whether he knew that or whether the intent is obviously there, like the manipulation factor is crazy. Oh yeah. To say, I'm going to, I'm going to lie to you to get you to go away from me, mom. 
but I'm going to lie to other people to make you potential terrorist on my colony. Now my buddy. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I, it all really went back to the idea. And I guess maybe this has been a long time and it goes back to the, our conversation that we had the other day about the, the Amazon show man, in the high castle is I finished this series and I thought, who was I actually rooting for? Justina. <laughs> That's who I was rooting for. Just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Just or the 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 line that I think will probably haunt me before we get into this is at the very end when you see the final battle and somebody says, What about the Xeon pilot that was in there? And some and the comment is, It's just hamburger. Yeah. Oh that yeah. Was, that that was like such a so casually oh. horrible. <laughs> He's just guts, bro. Like he's done. <laughs> Here he's in a ziploc. You want to hold him? <laughs> just, like, it was. It was really. It was very abrupt. Yeah. I did not expect it, and then when it hit me, I. It, I think the reality set in is that I was rooting for Bernie. In, I in that fight, or just overall, once <clears throat> at the end, you kind of in that fight. It. I think okay. because he's had that hero's journey. Then at that point. To, to really kind of make that final stand and say, I, whether I, I love this kid or not that's on this colony, I, I'm going to defeat this Gundam to prevent this entire colony from being wiped out. Like, I'm going to do the, what I believe is noble thing. It, it's, I guess maybe it goes back to that adage of, you know, one person's hero is another person's villain yeah. and, and vice versa. And so, you know, there, he was making this, sacrifice in order to to protect these people but they didn't even really know it right well and i think al's growth moment is his dad casually mentioning that the zeon ship carrying the nukes was like detained and so him jumping off the funicular to try to warn them that they didn't need to fight but being too late again it's him running into these battles that no parent is at no point in time somebody's like you should probably just stay put right (laughs) instead like you're covered in soot (laughs) well i thought his i thought for me his moment of maturity was when he saw that other kid being pulled out of the rubble like that was like his scared straight moment because like ever ever, right after that he pretty much stopped being like a bitch like he kind of just manned up and got it together um at the end of that battle i like was like you i didn't I was like, I'm not really rooting for anyone in terms of the grand scheme of it. However, I was low-key hoping that he would like stop them right before they issued their death blow. And then they would see each other. Because I feel like the whole time it's always like, hey, tell Chris I said hey. Hey, tell Bernie I said hey. And then they finally were like, hey. And then like <laughs> they get out of the Gundams and like make a baby or some shit. You know, like I don't know. But that clearly didn't happen. So, And I'm kind of glad it didn't. So, Yeah. I think that I would have loved to have I would have almost loved to have seen a Gundam love story, but just not in the context of war in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I like over like something office related, uh <laughs> but for like the Federation. <laughs> not like androgynous high school murder related. Well it's yeah, like no, the no, people like on a, white base at the little computers like having their you know, flirty aside, <laughs> like a real Jim and Pam moment. Yeah, up on white base. <laughs> Maybe we can put that together. You can pitch it next time you go to Japan. Yeah, I'd be like, um, let's talk Bandai, <laughs> Sunrise Television. 
any any additional thoughts or questions or, or things that we need to to get context out of for this because we we've talked a lot about the complexities the lies the interpersonal relationships and, and just the maturity that we have for for two of these these main characters as we've we've kind of gone on their journey over six episodes the the only kind of outlying one that i was curious about with you guys is did you ever did you relate in any way to Al and his friends glorifying war. Um, you know, so you guys are a little bit older. So I was like a little kid during the Gulf War, but I don't know if you remember that intensely and having any feelings about it. You know, for me, it was more like the first Iraq war being the war of like my time being a teenager. Right. Um, it, did you relate to that in any way, either of you? No. No. No, straight up. Like I'm not, my parents were both military. Um, neither of them had to serve in any sort of war, thankfully. Yeah, that's great. But I've never been um, interested in the glorification or participation. I think it goes back to being a lazy dude. <laughs> uh, war takes a lot of work that I'm not willing to put in. So I salute everyone who does that for me. I'm going to go with a no as well. It, it's very interesting because I was back at home recently and I was going through some things in my mom's basement and I found several VHS tapes that I believe were recorded from, from CNN or some news network during a 24 hour news cycle when we started uh, desert storm. And I had no conviction to be able to find, well, one, they were VHS tapes. So I had, I'd have to find a player and I had to find a TV that I could hook it up to. I was not compelled in any way, shape, or form to to check it out. I don't. I don't think that Ben's something. I uh, I have great respect for the for the people who are able to to soldier and who are able to to commit to that. Um, but man, I I just to have that kind of drive to to play war when I was a kid. I don't think I ever really even did that. I played I, Batman. Yeah, we played like a like a fake Dungeons and Dragons thing where it was like outside and you had like Nerf swords and stuff like that. Except they were probably just PVC pipes and we were hitting each other with yeah. PVC pipes. <laughs> <laughs> that would hurt like hell. Uh, they did. <laughs> or it was like a like a half inflated like bounce ball that you would have, and that'd be like your your magic spell, and you'd throw it at somebody else. So <laughs> we were we were LARPing in in '87 uh, around my my friend's house uh, before we had to get on the school bus. And that, that was before like, before it was cool. Yeah. Right. Also, I, uh, just for the record, I had a, um, a legit panic attack playing call of duty at age 26. So it was on easy and I was on level one. So I'm not, I'm not built for war at all. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. Now, did, did, did you have any, any attachment or did you have any, when you went through, the so, Iraq War, any any particular attachment or romanization about this? A little bit. So my uncle was in the Marine Reserves, and he was like, Marine Recon, which knowing what that is now is like fucking terrifying, where they like paratroop into shit before things really kind of pop off. Right. So he was like sending us back photos and stuff like that, and I was maybe a sophomore in high school, and I was like, man, this is really cool. And like, I think being very bought into the post 9-11 like got invade iraq as a nation and then i think like maybe a year later just getting smarter and learning more about it and then i took sort of a a sharp zigzag turn not unlike our characters driving in the show that we're talking about tonight 
where I was like, oh no, this is actually disgusting and terrible and we should not be engaged in this at all. What I'm hearing, Jeff, is that Charlie was one year very interesting to have at a Thanksgiving dinner. And then the (laughs) next year, he was just a total pain in the ass. (laughs) That was like his vegan moment where he's like, I don't eat this right now and I don't (laughs) want it. No diss against vegan people. Your food is delicious. It's just not for me. I mean, I will eat a lot of it, but I will also eat meat. I will also we just meat. ate some London broil. Yeah, we just we just ate some fajitas. Yeah, they were good. Actually, um, oh, you got oh it. I was just gonna say. Well, you know, I I was also like, I'm sure it's hard to believe, but very demure at the time to not share such views at family gatherings. But um, you know, it was a strange time, and it's very strange for me to think about now to be like, ugh, why did I? Right. think that was cool or whatever. Um, but I can definitely understand it. Hmm. Oh, understood. It's interesting to kind of see the, that, that being your, your first. And, and, you know, I think Jeff, you're, are we doing ages? No, okay. I was, <laughs> <laughs> no, that you and I have had sort of the a same or a very similar experience with this. Okay. Um, so no, thank you. I appreciate you sharing. Charlie. Thanks. Can I um, backpedal just for one moment? Of course. Um, We did talk earlier about identifying with characters. And one thing that I thought was fascinating, at least to me when I watched this show, um, was kind of like the prototypes of the different characters. So you had like the big husky dude who was like the drunk. And then you had like the Garcia dude who was just like. Very hot headed. Hot headed and seemed i don't know if he seemed like misogynistic to me but he seemed like he was like the super toxic masculine guy yeah um and you had the old grizzled captain and you had bernie who was kind of like the new guy and then etc so with shows like this especially that we watched growing up do you guys or have you ever thought about these kind of character tropes or prototypes in relation to how we would watch and identify with them as kids versus adults. Oof. Because, and I say this because, like, um, for instance, as a kid, I always identified with and gravitated to, um, I guess, for all intents and purposes, like, the stoner character. Okay. Like, as a little kid, like, Michelangelo was my favorite, you know, like, right, right. and stuff like that. <laughs> like, he, Like, when I was in high school, like, I love the movie Friday because I love Smokey. But, like, I didn't smoke weed. I I was super, like, straight edge and, like, anti-drugs and alcohol, like, all the way up until college. But all the way through my life up to that point, those were still my favorite characters that I always identified with. So I thought that that was fascinating. And it also made me think about, specifically for kids, like, is the, the potential kid that identifies with, like, the bloated, like, drunk pilot (laughs) <laughs> like, destined to become yeah like do the does like does art imitate life ever for people in that kind of respect and have you guys did you ever think about that at least while watching this show mm. that's a great question i mean i think as it when i watched it like as a young teen i think i probably you know ascribed to be like a bernie because he's sort of the the tragic in a certain point of view the tragic hero of this show um you know i don't think i really clocked like Misha or Garcia's characters other than just like supporting characters or their like grizzled boss necessarily. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think I kind of like for me, I sort of have always enjoyed like a, a, a second in command kind of character. So like a Dinobot in Transformers Beast Wars or like the the Black Ranger in the original Power Rangers. Okay. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know. I just like they're a little bit more aspirational in, you know, in Dinobot. He's nipping at the heels of Optimus uh, Primal. But um, those are just two examples. But so I'm almost I'm almost hearing what's important for you is the the ability to lead, but not the leadership position. I think that's probably right. But the but the ability when tasked to kind of move into that that seat. Yeah, I think that, I think that's probably right. That's interesting to go with your Ninja Turtles reference, Jeff. Yes, because I I definitely would watch, uh, would definitely watch TMNT. And think that I was one character when I was a kid watching it. I would think Michelangelo. I would want to be that that fun kind of party person that would want to you know eat, eat pizza. pizza and play video games and and hang out and watch TV. And then I grew up and I realized, oh no, I am I am a weird combination of Raphael and Donatello. <laughs> <laughs> Like sometimes real nerdy about stuff, uh, willing to to double down and kind of die on that hill if it's something I'm very opinionated about. But at the same time, for the Raphael stuff, a little bit hot headed can be very short and and kind of terse mm-hmm. with people. And and there are parts of me even now, as I rewatch it, where I'm thinking to myself, oh no, I'm like a combination of Leonardo and Michelangelo now. And so I've had this weird progression over time where. I think I had started as something and then maybe a couple of years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, I thought I was something else. And now I'm in a position where I, I feel I've kind of grown up a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, and this is obviously coming on the heels of uh, our last episode. We we're talking about Netflix's original series, Big Mouth, and just sort of maturity and sort of my progression and thoughts that I had when I was a kid. But I think in, in a lot of cases, some of it was just... Uh, I was a late bloomer, you know? And so yeah. then having those maturity moments where suddenly you, you kind of grow up or you're put into the position or you're thrust into the position very similar to what we saw in uh, War in the Pocket. Yeah. You know, you, you get to that moment where you, you kind of progress and grow. I will probably rewatch TMNT down the road and be like, oh no, I'm like Shredder and Splinter. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is like not good. I'm now villains. <laughs> But I think that I definitely always, I always associated with obviously heroes more often, but then there would be those moments where when the villains were doing stuff, I loved their their powers, their looks, their kind of aesthetic. So I want to be a good guy, but I want to come off and have the vibe uh, of a villain. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> mm. No, good question. Thank you, Jeff. Cool. Any final thoughts about Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket? I, I think it really held up for me. You know, some stuff, even watching my beloved Outlaw Star these days, just it's it's hard to feel, <laughs> other than certain episodes, it's hard to feel the same kind of magic. And I really do think a lot about those sort of Toonami early adult swim era shows that I Stayed up so, so late to watch single episodes of. Not only did I stay up late to watch them, but then I would watch the rebroadcast for some of them. I was, when I was in college, I was a real night owl. 
and I'd be up until like three, four o'clock in the morning just rewatching shit that I had watched three hours before <laughs> for no reason other than I was just, just wild. Awake. I was wildly entertained by so much of this stuff and it, it felt so interesting and unique and I had never seen in many cases anything like it before. And so I, I, I wanted to do it. I mean, I, I've been watching cartoons, you know, throughout my entire childhood. There would be moments where I'd come home after school at night and there'd be an hour and a half of Looney Tunes and I'd sit down and watch that. And then liquid television would come on right after that and I'd sit down and I'd watch that. And for me, it was just something that I, I just got so used to watching more and kind of consuming more in that sense that uh, when given that opportunity to just, continue to do so and the freedom and the reins of college of just not having a schedule or making my own oh all bets were off oh yeah <laughs> show up to class uh tired as shit but i'd be like i can tell you everything that happened last night for all of tsunami <laughs> let me tell you about trigun let's real dig deep into trigun inuyasha oh my god i watched so much inuyasha but we have some thoughts. And before we get into our thoughts about this show, turns out, yeah, you, you listening right now, you sons of guns, you also have opinions about Gundam, more in the pocket, 0080. So in order to honor your ideas, in order to honor your criticisms about this show, we are now going to turn this over to longtime listener in front of the show, Bobby Anthem, for this week's Love It or Hate It. Bobby, take it away. Our Love It This Week is titled War Through the Eyes of a Child by Vampil 728 in June 2006. This one is edited for length and it says, For only six episodes, Gundam 0080 is a well done show. The mobile suits are extremely well designed and the animation may look dated but really shows emotion in the characters. If you like 0083, then check this one out. Or if you're new to the Gundam world, this is a good show to start with. If you look to a show for drama and character development, this is the one for you. It focuses more on that than Mobile Suit Battle. I would rate it more of a drama than action. Mobile Suit Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket. Sometimes you have to lose to win. 10 out of 10 stars. And our hate it. Nah, just kidding. Nobody hates this show. So there you go, Charlie. <laughs> Our second Love It is titled A Tragic Story of War and Friendship by Peter C. 26 in August 1999. Again, edited for length. This one says, If you are uninitiated to the Gundam world, this is a good place to start. If you are burnt out on Star Wars or Star Trek, here is a compelling, realistic sci-fi series you can become immersed in. Not the simplistic boy saves world and giant robot story you might have expected, but rather a complex, emotionally compelling space war drama where the line between the good and bad guys is decidedly less than distinct. I love this OAV series with its cool mecha designs, involving stories, and likable characters. I recommend this series to anyone who likes realistic sci-fi anime, or to those who think anime is just silly or sexy entertainment. 10 out of 10 stars. Man, two love-its, no hate-its. I feel as if somebody needs to go to IMDb and maybe write a little bit of a critical review of War in the Pocket. Or not. Charlie is smiling 
almost as wide as if I told them that there's going to be an Outlaw Star reboot. <laughs> oh, man. I am I'm living and breathing every day for it. Is that another Gundam? Uh, <laughs> no, but you're it's, just it's, fucking with them now. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm like seventy percent serious. <laughs> <laughs> it's another anime series, but it does not take place in any Gundam universe. Okay, no. Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket. I'm gonna go around the horn and let's check and see. Do you recommend it or do you not recommend it, and why? And then if you don't recommend it, you can also give it the Roger Rabbit style dip, which erases it from the annals of cartoon history. And we'll never talk about it again in the context of this show, this podcast. So Charlie, you have recommended Gundam War in the Pocket tonight. Final thoughts, final recommendation or disrecommendation? Oh, it's, it's a big recommend for me, not shockingly. You know, I think it's a great entree into... The Gundam series, you know, if you're not prepared to invest a lot of time in watching the ye old 1979 series, you can really get a lot out of this, I think. It's not a huge time investment, six 20-minute episodes, a little bit less when you skip through that intro, as we mentioned. <laughs> um, but I think it's really strong. I think it tells a very compelling but compact story. It's enjoyable. It's emotional. Um, I've... I finished rewatching the final episode at, at work as I often do. Um, and, you know, got a little teary at my desk on uh, that final episode, which pretty much always happens. Um, and, you know, it's just barely a Christmas anime. So happy, <laughs> Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Gundam days. Um, so I'm just going to say happy Honda days. Happy, happy Honda all, days. Throw them all in. Saturday morning cartoons brought to you by. The Honda, all new Honda Civic. Oh my God, Honda! If you're listening, we would love a sponsorship. Send us some dollars. Send us some money. Um, I know I usually say don't at me, but I would say do at me. Uh, you know, hashtag Hail Zeon or hashtag Turd Federation. That's right, I'm saying it. Suck at Earth Federation. Wow. I do. I do not recommend the Earth Federation. Wow. Okay. Very strong words from Charlie. Yeah. All right. Was there a concrete good guy or bad guy in this show? Because I didn't know who was bad or good. In my opinion, no. So in the original series, the Earth Federation are the good guys okay. who have the Gundam and the Xeon are evil. It becomes much muddier as the timeline goes on. Okay. Yeah. This this one felt like Xeon was still pretty bad. Yeah. Although uh, these individual like the, troops were fine. Yeah. These individual troops were okay, but it felt like the, the overall Earth, leadership is pretty corrupt. Earth Federation also felt like it was making some mistakes along the way here, yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Jeff, work with that. Do you recommend Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket, or do you not? All right. I'm going to say that I do recommend it, but I don't recommend watching it first. Apparently, there's a lot of other Gundams out there. Um, and if you're into just watching these robots like do their thing, don't watch this one because there's only like what two good fights. I would say and like just, arguably three. Yeah. Um, but that being said, yeah, just don't watch it first. I I watched it first. I thought it was cool, but like it didn't get me hyped to watch the other one. So I'm probably gonna make Charlie uh put me onto the Gundams. Like I'm gonna come through through his crib and watch them. But yeah, so that's my um recommendation if they do any sort of reboots they need to uh draw christina mckenzie a little thicker but you know <laughs> i don't think anybody's gonna argue with a thicker chris on this one i'm also available for uh 
imagery consulting bandai if you want to learn how to draw thick uh gundam lady fighters i got you <laughs> 36 24 36 only issues 5 3 yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so good uh for myself i'm also going to recommend gundam 0080 war in the pocket charlie is giving me the success fist pump right now he's very happy i i liked the fact that sitting down to watch this i knew that it was going to be six episodes i always like and enjoy the idea of beginning a new series a new show with having that kind of finite ending realizing that the story is going to conclude at some point that there there's a terminal moment where this will be over and that did help me kind of get into it. I felt like from the other Gundams that we've watched, this gave me characters to get invested in and involved in. And I, I was curious to see, I, I honestly felt sort of the Al and Bernie moments were very fun, regardless of, of whatever your thoughts are about the dynamics within this relationship. They could go from talking about burning down a building to them being like, do you want to get some McDonald's? <laughs> and, and and they would do that in a montage and and it was fun i think it was kind of an endearing uh brother but not really brother to brother relationship and so it was it was enjoyable to kind of see what they were able to do and and, and how much they were able to care about one another in presumably a very short period of time and so that for me made it, it very interesting and i i I liked the fact that we had Gundams kind of peppered in, but I love the fact too that we didn't get too deep into the weeds about the Gundams because once you get to that Gundanium moment, oh, yeah. I, my brain just shuts off. Yeah, I, that's, I, would, I, I would offer a, that's dumb. Like, Gundanium <laughs> is a lazy choice. I, there was only like, so I'm a, being a mega fan, I only noticed like one very winky moment to the like other series and otherwise it was like very pleasurably devoid of that kind of stuff. Okay. So yeah, for all of this, I am going to recommend Gundam 0080 war in the pocket. So that has been tonight. Wow. Thank you both Charlie, Jeff so much for coming on the show this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hopefully, hopefully you've enjoyed watching these two murder bandits run amok on colony. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think talking about it made it m- much more enjoyable for me as well. So yeah, yeah it was fun. Excellent. Want to go around and just check and see. Uh, Charlie, what do you have going on in the future? Where can the good people find you? So in the new year, on uh, Friday, January 11th, they have an art show coming up. If you're in the D.C. area, um, if you're familiar with Slim's Diner, it's going to be on the third floor of that building. The show is called Sheet Cake. Uh, with my two friends, um, Sarah Jamison and Rob Detheridge. It's a group show. There will be a cash bar and free cake and nice. also art available for purchase. Wonderful. But come for the cake. And where can the folks find you on social media as well as also your website? Yeah, uh, so I'm at visconage.com is the website and I'm at CA Visconage on Instagram and at Sweaty in the City on Twitter because I made that before I decided to brand myself in any meaningful way (laughs) (laughs) awesome awesome thank you charlie thanks jeff where can the good folks find you online anything you'd like to to plug 
no real plugs at the moment um if you need a music video directed and edited i can probably help you with that uh and aside from that i'll maybe be releasing some music possibly the last uh ep of my adult life wow um you could be able to find all this at mangocitymedia.com or you can follow me and ask me questions about gundam at piff tannin on instagram yeah dm jeff with all of your very technical gundam questions and i'm just gonna direct all of it into a conversation about christina mckenzie (laughs) (laughs) so get ready and I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost like, who's going to be upset about that conversation? My girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll get her on board, too. Fair enough. You heard him on this week's episode. It's our friend, Bobby Anthem. You can hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience. Find him on Twitter, at IEXP underscore podcast. And you can find them on Spreaker and SoundCloud. He's also the occasional third co-host on the THT Movie Review Podcast, which broadcasts every Saturday night at 11.30 Eastern Standard on Mixler. You can also find Bobby on Twitter at Bobby Anthem. Send him some love. He is simply the best. For me, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. You can find tickets and times with DC.org. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. Want to support us? <laughs> tell a friend review us on itunes i know it's super boring it really does help if you're not aware in every show note i write a suggestion of what you can put in itunes very easy you can just copy paste that make it very simple for you want to chat us up on twitter at morning tunes remember that's morning with you you can check us out on instagram and facebook at saturday morning cartoons you can find all of these sites that we've talked about and more on our link tree which is in the bio of all of our social media sites as well as also the ability to be able to email us we're on gmail saturday morning cartoons at gmail.com and you can listen to our podcast all the time we are on youtube itunes stitcher google play spotify wherever fine podcasts are sold thank you guys so much for listening we have two more episodes in the month of December. We have an interview that's going to be going on next week with the authors of a book that's called It's Saturday Morning, uh, which explores four decades of cartoons. So we're going to have an opportunity to talk about them, which means we're also going to have a giveaway. And then finally, we're going to be rounding out the entire month of December right before Christmas with another Rankin Bass Christmas special. So get ready for Pinocchio's Christmas, which might be the the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of Frank and Bass <laughs> could be terrible. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.